everybody, welcome to Liberty and Friends, your weekly installment of all things freedom, brought to you, of course, by the Institute of Race Relations and uh, in support of the Big Liberty Show. Guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Big Daddy Liberty, and I'm super, super glad to be bringing you today's topic, uh, insofar as it's an important one. It's one that speaks to br- making you more aware of what's happening around the state of crime in South Africa. Are you safer today than you were a year ago? Um, So the Minister of Police, if you aren't aware, who was flanked by his uh, senior aficionados from the South African Police Service, appeared before Parliament to release the latest crime statistics. That's for the year, the financial year of 2018-2019. So this is all the data that ends to about March of this year. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he, in his usual sort of um, um, charismatic way, uh, you know, had a chat with us as South Africans about what the state of crime is like in this country. But if you missed it, maybe because you're at work or, you know, you were carting the kids around or whatever you may have been doing, I've bringing, I'm bringing you two colleagues uh, from the Institute of Race Relations, analysts and guys who have crunched the numbers, who know what's going on, um, and they're going to talk us through this today. So who do I have in studio with me to this week? I have, of course, Herman Pretorius, who, who is an IRR analyst. Um, Herman, good day. How are you doing? Excellent yourself, Sikhle. Fantastic, brother man. And of course, a voice and face on the, the various shows that we have that you guys are familiar with, uh, Marius Ruert, who's also a senior analyst here and of course the head of campaigns. Marius, brother, how are you? Yeah, how's it, Hey man, just a quick shout out to Marius, of course, who turned uh, <laughs> 40 yesterday. Homie's back from a, what I can only assume was a crazy night of uh, partying. Brother, happy birthday, uh, happy belated birthday to you. Uh, thanks a lot, Sikhle. Awesome, guys. Um, just quick one before, uh, we head into the topic. How do we find you guys on social media, uh, Herman? Uh, well, on Twitter, I'm at Munir underscore Mon. That makes sense. Awesome, brother man. Um, I'll have those links, of course, in my descriptor of this podcast. And uh, Morris, how do we find you? Uh, on Twitter, my handle is at Morris Awesome, guys. Let's get straight into this conversation. Fellas, it, it's, it's, I, I began this conversation by essentially saying, we're about to talk about the crime stats that happened in the last financial year. So basically everything f- uh, uh, from t- up until March of this year, 2019. And um, I don't know how to even preface this and where we'll begin. So this is how maybe we'll, we'll break down this conversation. It'll be a short 25-minute conversation or so. <clears throat> Let's look at the different categories of crime through three areas that we care about as liberals. And this is uh, life, liberty, and property. So when I talk about life, we're talking about South Africans' quality of life. So some of the crime categories, of course, will be things like murder under that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, When I talk about liberty, a very topical thing that we've been discussing, for example, for the past couple of weeks is, you know, some of the crimes that affect um, uh, people's freedoms to either move around, associate, be in open spaces and gender-based violence crime-based crimes mm. come to mind here and crimes against children. Of course, the last mm. one will be on property-related crimes. So I hope this is a nice way of maybe breaking it down. But, you know, if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll figure it out. So let's begin on the quality of life of South Africans in this country. Mm. Chaps, the murder rate is a major, mm. major, major concern. We've been hearing it in the chattering classes of how oh, Syria is even safer than us in terms of the murder rate. But let's actually look at the numbers. Herman, what are we here today and why is this a big problem? Well, um, it's a big problem because people are dying. Uh, it, it, it's uh, people who um, shouldn't be in vulnerable positions are. 
And I mean, that's that's a huge, huge failure. But looking at the data, we see a uh, 3.4% uptick in the number of murders. And that translates to, um, I don't, I think it's 21,022 uh, 21, or something that's like that. Fun. And I mean, th- that, that, that's, 20,000 people um, who snuffed out, out. lives gone, potential gone, families broken up. And uh, that's, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. And the, to contextualize that, uh, we, we can put it in the per hundred thousand. Um, We take the number of cases and then per hundred thousand to see what's the homicide rate. And here we see something interesting. Um, in 95, 96, we had a, it was the absolute high point of our uh, homicide rate where we had uh, 68 murders per 100,000 people. And then that fell to 31 murders per 100,000 people in 2012 um, and uh, 2011, 2012. But the problem is, we are now back up to 36 per 100,000. It's been ticking up continuously from 2013. And, and I mean, that's, that's, that's worrying. That, that was a positive trend, one of po- probably the most positive trend with regards to crime in South Africa, mm-hmm. and it seems to be fundamentally reversing. And it should worry us more because of all the categories of crime, um, you know, the reliability of data can be a little mm-hmm. sketchy. However, murder is the one that's actually relatively... Yeah. Accurate. Yeah, well, you have to report, uh, or most people, if see a dead body, they'll report it to the police. So, and also, Mm. it's one of the best ways to monitor or to compare us to other countries because lots of other countries, for example, uh, crime of sexual offense, they might have a different different definition, for example, Mm. but a murder is a murder. There's, uh, Mm. you know, that's one, it's a single definition that all countries in the world follow. Mm. So, and I mean, we've, we all know the uh, the difference between the murder rate of South Africa and, I mean, uh, Haramont put something together and shows Mm. that. uh, the murder rate for Rwanda for per, per hundred thousand people is twenty three, and uh, mm. Botswana it's eighteen. So and we actually almost double. Zimbabwe is eleven. Yeah, I mean, it's the, this the, the 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 problem here is uh, as Morris is quite clearly saying that there's something fundamentally wrong here. Mm. It's not just that South Africa is a is is, a, is an African country or a poor country or a device, divided country. I mean. Zimbabwe has more than half our murders per 100,000 people. It's insane. Well, let's look at this in terms of some of the social issues maybe behind it because when the police were pushed on this in the press conferences and, of course, in Parliament, it it sort of devolved into a wishy-washy word salad, if you will, of them saying, well, you know, we're going to work with NGOs. We're Mm going to... In fact, the police minister himself said... You know, we need to look at maybe bringing in psychologists and sociologists to help us break it down. But there's there's two firm things we know. Number one, these crimes, um, contact crimes in particular, murder, are happening over the weekend. Um, and the police themselves have deduced that, you know, mm. a driving factor of this is alcohol consumption. Um, drugs. And, and likely drugs also. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so, so the big social crime element uh, that drives off also something like a murder. Um, the other thing that we know in, in, in uh, uh, definite terms, if you will, is that the about... Um, uh, can't think of the, the the percentage now, but a large the largest pr- proportion of these crimes, I think it's twenty nine percent of the crimes, are from uh, interpersonal mm. people who know each other essentially. Yeah. So an argument that heats up and one in a rage, uh, you know, kills someone else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, these are social issues, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I'm, and I hate to say this because it makes it sound like you know maybe trying to defend the police, but policing can't solve this unless you're putting a cop in everyone's home. 
policing can't solve this. So what do we do, Herman? Well, uh, I mean, uh, one of the things you always say, Sihle, is uh, is you you feel very strongly about the family. And I absolutely agree with you there. And if we look at South African history, families were broken up in this country. Um, the, the the group areas act. Um, I think it's in the in the first, very first chapter of the brilliant book Gang Town about um, the gang situation in in Cape Town. Um, it's it, it's basically there that uh, parents now have to tra- where they in the past a mum and dad um, had perhaps had to travel twenty to thirty minutes an hour perhaps to their work mm. because they now have been moved to the very peripheries the edges of society. Now they travel an hour or, or more. And per week, that means to and from work, the kids in that home have 10, 12, how many hours uh, they spend um, not with their parents, where in the past that would have been part of, you know, social cohesion. And if you take that over years and years and years and the snowballing effect, I mean, the the causative factors given here uh, was, as you say, the misunderstandings or arguments and confrontations, gang-related incidents and domestic violence in that order. Now, the fascinating thing is I'm, I'm tempted to pull all of those back to the disintegration of family structures That's or right. at least societal structures. We, we don't have to be addicted to the nuclear family. Mm. But there's very much this idea that misunderstandings or arguments, there's, there's a rage issue. People don't know how to how to respond to confrontation properly. I think that's a home issue. Uh, Gang-related, that's a home issue. You don't feel at home. You need a society. You need somewhere to belong. And then, of course, domestic violence Mm. is we have generations of, of mostly men who have no idea no idea how to uh, um, solve or how to uh, work within the, 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 the context of a home with confrontation. Mm. Mm. And this, ugh, I mean, it's, it's, awful. it's really awful. And maybe let me come in here because the, the very next category, uh, in, terms of the, the, um, in terms of the largest circumstances leading to murder in South Africa, is um, mob justice, which comes mm. in at 14%. So Hadman was right. Um, in terms of the, the sources or circumstances leading to murder, um, arguments or a misunderstanding rated at 30, 30%. And these situations are often um, beyond the police control, as we said. Mm. Um, the gang-related, which came in second, uh, is 19% contribu- contributory factor. And of course, mop, um, excuse me, domestic violence at 18%. And we did, I think, rightly situate this at the family level and some of the social networks within a community that just aren't supported as much as perhaps they should be. Mm. Um, but the one I, I was very interested in because it, it, it links into a conversation I had with Gideon Hubert in the previous um uh, one of my previous podcasts last week on Liberty and Friends, you can find that on the Daily Friend website and the Iona website. We spoke about, um, oh, sorry, let me just quickly begin here. So mob justice as a contributory factor of vigilantism was 14%. Mm. Um, that is a very big contributory factor to the murder rate in the country. Um, and those are murders. These let, are, yeah, no one, let no one be, you know, there's no justice. No two ways about it. Um, those are murders. And here's the, the ticker, though. And I want to put this to you, lads, and see what you have to say or think. When I spoke to Gideon Hubert, um, the, the, the issue we raised was the idea that South African police, generally speaking, have almost lost the consent, if not lost the consent, to police the South African public. So that you can have, as the fourth highest contributory factor to murder in a country, something like vigilantism and uh, mob justice. Because those communities feel, you know what, there's no use mm, yeah. in me going to SAPS. There's no use in me going to the law. 
we'll deal with this guy or this girl or whatever the case may be in our community. Let's zoom in on SAPs. And mm. Morris, I'm going to bring you in here because in here, we've released a report called The Broken Bru- yeah. uh, Blue Line. Mm. I want you to tap into this. Police are at a crossroads in this country. People mm. don't trust them because the police themselves are quite compromised in most cases. T- tell us more about Yeah, that. so we did a report called The Broken Blue Line. Uh, I read the third one in the series last year. And what I found was that police themselves are often uh, involved in violent crime. They're often involved in uh, gang-related crime and so on. And they are also... Um, they uh, assist criminals often. I mean, we saw what happened. Uh, I forgot, I forget the fellow surname, but Chris something in Vereniging, who was selling uh, guns to gangs in the Cape. Mm. And there was uh, thousands of guns he sold to uh, uh, Cape gangs. And this is, people came and gave their guns into the police. They wanted to get rid of their guns. Instead of these uh, weapons being destroyed, they were went down and were invo- used in murders and so on in uh, the Cape. So that's sorry, just to... Uh, Talking about the Cape, uh, it's quite interesting that uh, nearly 90% or so of gang-related murders are in the Western Cape. That's right. So that's, I mean, we all know why. I mean, that's... Parliament clear. is situated there. <laughs> yeah. no. Well, that's where, they were, that's where that's the gangsters are. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, I just I think the fact that uh, we have such a high level of murders from mob justice should actually, it's scary. It's mm. terrifying. And, mm. you know, people are criminals, but do you... We don't have death penalty in this country for good reason. And uh, there was a video going around now during the xenophobic rights. Yeah. was actually a video from a uh, mob justice attack where a poor man had been set on fire. Who knows what he'd, been d- what he'd done. Well, the allegation was that he had robbed someone on the spot. <coughs> and obviously the crowd then sort of surrounded but him. But it doesn't matter what, even exactly. if he murdered somebody, you, you, you don't set other people on fire. I mean, that, that's why we have justice system, even with all its flaws. That's where you have to go. Mob justice can never be, uh, can nev- uh, never be tolerated. Because there's think. no due procedure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's Salem, it's the crucible, it's you're a witch. Mm. Exactly. Fellas, let's move it on. Um, As I think we we look at the sort of crimes that are inhibiting... Might I add one last point on on this idea of mob justice? And it's a fascinating tweet from Politics Web. Mm. It's 24 years after the death penalty was abolished in South Africa. 789 public executions as part of mob justice Mm. in this past financial year. Compare that to 231, which was the highest number of lynchings recorded in America, and that was in 1892. Mm. We have, what, three times the the, the level of... Four times. Four times the level of, of public executions mm. that they had in the racist mm. south. I mean, mm. it's it's insane. And let's mm. not beat around the bush. These are public executions. They are public. Absolutely. That's what they are. Absolutely. Um, and we actually forgot to, to raise, you know, with murder also comes attempted murder, which mm. also went mm. up. And um, the number's there. <clears throat> also quite close to the murder number. You know, 18,000 attempted, mm. 18,000 plus, 18,000, nearly 19,000, excuse me, attempted murders. And um, an increase from last year of about 740. 18,980. That's right. So, um, and that's also been uh, on an upward trend uh, over the past couple of years. So that's also something that should concern all of us. Let's move on, guys. Um, <laughs> let's move on. And I want us to look at the types of crimes that really begin to speak to how we're limiting the freedoms of South Africans, generally speaking. Um, and there's a myriad of types of crimes here, you know, from sexual offences, um, assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm, uh, common assault, um, yeah, maybe those, those, yeah, let's, let's work on those. So um, in terms of assault with the intent to inflict grievous bodily harm, what do we see there, Herman? 
Um, I'm actually not quite sure. Okay, that's quite oh, well, uh, I'll, 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 I've got, I've got it here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. it's actually uh, it stayed fairly steady. It's actually shown a decrease uh, in the past 10 years. So in 2009 there were two, just over 200,000 incidents. And this is now uh, 170, call it 171,000. Yeah, slight increase so though, 2.2%. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's been fairly, stayed fairly. Yeah. Common assault? Uh, common assault is also actually decreased. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, I'm saying in the past in the ten-year oh, trend. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. The ten-year trend has decreased. Yeah, yeah. It has increased yeah. uh, if we compare year to year. Mm-hmm. But uh, common assault ten years ago, 194,000 incidents. Uh, now for the latest figures, 162,000. But this is up from 156,000 in the previous year. Mm-hmm. So I think what all these stats show is that the police were actually starting to win the war on crime, and about ten, you know they. Everything was going right for the cops. If we'd carried on this trend, the murder rate would probably be in about 20 to 25 rather than 30. But I think this is all, and it happened. Uh, the police just lost, um, they're not as effective as they used to be. And I think uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. And that's partly because of political meddling and who's appointed to the police. Mm. And I think, as we've seen with a lot of things in this country, we can draw it back to the election of Jacob Zuma in 2009 as president, mm. which uh, he hollowed out a lot of institutions in this country, okay. including SAPs. And we're seeing, we're living with the consequences now. And and I, I, I also think two things to add. There mm. is something to say for the fit, fish rots from its head. Um, there's the, the the Zuma presidency really put at which I mean you can the the Mandela presidencies uh, presidency and the Mbeki presidency they had their issues by no make no mistake but we had a crook mm. as our as the leader of our country and there is no way that I think if, uh, if we look at you know the symbolism of power and the 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 symbol that goes with a constitutional head of government i think there's no way to get around the fact that people look to that as an example as inspiration if 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 the country will have a crook um in charge that will inevitably filter down and i and i think that's one of the things that happened i'm talking about hollowing out institutions mm-hmm. national prosecuting authority yeah. i mean there's no chance. Oh, I mean, you can commit a crime and the chances of you getting away with it is very, very big. Well, this also comes to uh, a, a topic we've been discussing, uh, in fact, on this very show last week. We brought to you a, a snippet of what happened at the Women's March in Cape Town as the issue, of course, of gender-based violence and generally speaking sexual offences mm. um, is brought to the fore. And unfortunately, some of the biggest victims of these crimes are women. Um, Let's look at all these sexual offences generally. As a category, um, they increased by 4.6% cumulatively. When I talk about them being cumulative, we're talking about rape, sexual assault, Mm. attempted sexual offences, and contact sexual offences. Guys, let's begin at rape because it's it's the... it's the big one, I suppose. Of it's, it tops the category. Let me put it that way. Um, we see an increase of three point nine percent. Why are we beginning to see? Um, firstly, I don't know if we have the trend in front of us. Yeah, yeah. So um, the trend is actually a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years ago, there were nearly fifty thousand rapes reported. Uh, this has gone down now to forty-one thousand. So that's quite a big decrease. But I think with the point to make, like where. Uh, with a murder, a murder has to be reported. Yep. A rape doesn't have to be reported. So who knows what the actual number is? It could actually be far mm-hmm. higher than the 41,000 people who just reported rape. So there could be, we know the women are often treated a bondly when they go report Absolutely. rape in a police station. There have been many stories 
uh, I shouldn't laugh, but it's so it's absurd. Women going to police stations to report rape, and then the policemen raping them in turn. Yeah. Exactly. So it's I mean it's it's horrific. So. And, and and that goes back to what we were saying earlier about trust in the police. The, these numbers, as as horrific as they are, they are probably a vast underestimation. Mm. I mean, sexual assault is up by nine point six percent, and and ten percent, and and it's it's as, as Mario said, it it just defies logic to think that that's all sexual assaults. Mm. It the, these these women are vulnerable already, mm. and then um, a, a mistrust of the authorities, a well deserved mistrust, might I add, of the authorities, makes that. Uh, I mean, an increase of 9% to think that's scratching the surface. I mean, mm. it's horrible. And and it, for me, it just uh, I just need to say one thing, that if we're talking about... I, I went to a pretty large school. I think we were about 1,500 uh, boys in the school. Now, if I have to imagine how many uh, rapes happened, I have to time that by about 30 I have to mm. take my the largest group I ever was a part of, a school of 1,500 boys, I have to times that by 30, mm. and then I can count the number of rape victims that's reflected in the official data. Mm. I, it, 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 it's and I think also one, what's uh, quite an, an anomaly here is that contact sexual offences uh, that declined from 8,293 in 2019 to just over 1,000 for the latest year. So, And that's there, there must be an issue with uh, how it's been defined because mm. that's... a very very big drop and doesn't uh, make sense with mm. looking at the other trends so I mean that's we also uh, th- there might be issue with the, just the reporting these stats as well so guys bottom line bottom line is women in this country aren't necessarily safe there is mm. a predatory environment out there which you know We'll leave it to the feminists to def- to give it the the terms and the you know. But at, at the the real bottom line is women in this country um, have their freedoms reduced by these sort of crimes. Mm. And mm. I do zoom in on women because they are the the large majority of people who suffer these crimes. Mm. But now here's the problem, and we've been raising this issue on the show, and I think we need to revisit it here. Enough is enough when it comes to the rhetoric around these crimes, the activism, if you will, and the begging government mm. to do something about it. There must be a, 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 um, a change in approach, if you will, one which begins to empower women to begin to address these crimes mm. directly, or empower them, rather, to be able to address these crimes directly as we have a conversation about the state jacking itself up, police uh, jacking its case. I mean, for example, police not having rape kits at a police mm. station. I mean, that sort of clown world stuff has to sort of end. Um, and it's easy stuff to fix. Just make sure... Absolutely. Um, and I think you've already touched on the point, point of, you know, depoliticizing the police service and actually mm. professionalizing it mm. immensely. Morris, before I come to you on this one, um, we had this conversation with the ladies in, in Cape Town. And one of the things I had raised with them, which I just want us to touch on briefly before we move on, was the idea that, you know, at the level of the individual, because there's, there's distinct layers here, mm. the individual, the community, and of course the state. Um, at the level of the individual, there is absolutely nothing wrong in encouraging a culture, if you will, of South African women, of those who opt to, who choose to, mm. arming themselves, getting good training, being proficient in the usage, the defensive usage of a firearm, and actually becoming a woman who can stand her ground and say, would be rapist, would be attacker. Mm. If you try and touch me, I can meet out consequences and defend my life and liberty. Yeah, Is this not a conversation we should be having more of? I think so. Look, uh, I'm probably uh, on the... In this organization, I'm on the left of this issue because I'm not a particular fan of guns. But (laughs) I do think that people, if they choose to uh, arm themselves, and obviously you go through background checks and we don't, you know, people have to be, you know, not have uh, 
mental health issues or whatever the case may be. Well, obviously, it can't be as easy as in America where you, some place you can buy a gun in Walmart, for example. But I do think people who do make the choice should be allowed to arm themselves mm. to within reason. Of course, you can't get a, you know, a, a pocket nuclear bomb or something. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a weapon to arm yourself in this country. I mean, I was held at gunpoint about a month ago and... Uh, uh, luckily, I got away with all my stuff intact. But uh, for some people, I mean, the, the uh, arming themselves would have been an option in that uh, mm. scenario. So, and I think, as I say, people should be allowed to have weapons if they so choose. Herman, and I'm, I'm 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 giving this context because um, obviously we 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 shot this on the day of the release of this the the data. So if you're watching this, we shot this yesterday. Um, and on the day of this episode, there's going to be, I don't know if it's happening right now, as I talk, technically, a Santon shutdown. It was trending on Thursday afternoon, and essentially behind it is the various sort of feminist groupings, LGBTQI types, etc., etc., putting together a shutdown um, where they'll be busing people into Santon and presumably blocking roads and the like and the like. A part of me goes, yeah, activism is great, and these sort of symbolic things are fantastic, but there are people even in this hashtag who are going, guys, we really care about the issue of addressing gender-based violence. We care about addressing these sort of um, uh, sexual offences-type crimes, but we just don't see why we're not moving into the next level um, of putting direct pressure on the political elites, who are the ones who actually hold the power to address this, mm. by and large. Not, not the corporates in Santon, who are just as hapless, really. Um, and of course, ask the individuals, mm. ask the ladies, a different narrative that says we can stand our ground as armed citizens and shoot those very sort of evil men who try and objectify us and harm us. Yeah, the, the 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 thing, I mean, looking at crime, it's basically the symptom of everything that's wrong with society. Mm. That's, that's basically what it represents. So I think there's definitely a, a case to be made for um, arming uh, uh, women and, and, you know, we get making sure that those people who are specifically vulnerable mm. can meet out the necessary force to protect themselves. I, I definitely think that's that's part of it. But what frustrates me about the feminist movement, and I have to say I come from a from from a house where my mother was the prime breadwinner, where I have a sister who um has three beautiful children and a PhD. I mean it's it's I, I come from a house and a family of, of incredibly strong women. My political idol is Margaret Thatcher. So it's not that I hate women. It's that I think there are certain contexts, certain structures where safety for women are enhanced and i think the family structure happens to be one of them mm -hmm. or um you know these social structures uh happen to offer protection for children for women so it's you have many it's 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 it's, it's a beast with many heads and you have to you can't Narrow it down to narrow one, it down thing, to one thing, but uh, there are m multiple societal factors. But I think the one thing that is also incredibly problematic is the state. If we're going to look at this philosophically, what the thing that um, um, makes the state unique from another organization is it has the exclusive right to use force. Mm -hmm. um, 
and our state is losing that. Mm. If we are at the level where we have to create state power in the purse of the woman walking on the street so that she can defend herself from rape, then the state has failed, not not as you know an economic entity, but as a fundamentally its identity as being responsible for force mm. in society mm. is breaking down and it's it, South Africa, to be fair, has never really had that monopoly quite established, but that's what we should strive for. Absolutely. Mm. Guys, we're going to move on to the last area, really, which is, I think, a more co- uh, complex one. Not complex per se, but there's more categories in this one. These are crimes, of course, which are property-related. Um, these are property-related crimes, which overall, uh, if I can read my notes, had decreased, except with the exception Excuse me, uh, that kombucha came back, excuse me. Um, Property-related crimes decreased except with the exception of stock theft, Mm. which has increased by 2.9%. Burglary at non-residential premises has stabilized. Now, I'm going to break these down a little bit. Technically, it also went up. Um, Yeah, which I found a little amusing. But um, let me just break these down a little bit, and then we'll have a a, a concluding conversation around these, because I think these are actually a very important um, Mm. uh, layer, if you will. Of crime burglary at non-residential households stayed static. There's no real change then percentage-wise. Um, burglary at residential premises saw a slight decrease of about 3.2 percent. Um, theft of motor vehicles and motorcycles saw a decrease of 4.6 percent. I saw the SAPs tapping themselves on the back for this one. I think this probably has a lot more to do with the private sector or the, their yeah, work with the yeah. private sector, trackers and the like. Anyway, theft out of a motor vehicle. Um, or from a motor vehicle that also went down by about 3.2%. And of course, the last one, stock theft, which saw an increase. Let me begin with the last one because it's more important to me, I think, than the others to an extent, and I'll tell you why. We've been having a conversation around um, the South African farmer and just how under siege he is, um, both in, in the fr- uh, context of farm murders, which I think uh, uh, Saps actually gave a number to, yes. um, and kudos to them for actually now beginning to track that. Um, but stock theft is another major issue that they're dealing with, I mean, and it's becoming sophisticated and organized. Uh, let me begin with you, Morris. I don't know if you, you, um, you know, we were, yeah, th- sorry, but why I'm beginning with you is, is the following. We were at a, um, one of the largest uh, gatherings of the agricultural community earlier this year, um, NAMPO, mm-hmm. and this was an issue they brought up almost consistently to say, yes, we, we get the crisis of farm murders, but another massive issue is stock theft. And it isn't just animals anymore. It isn't like livestock. It's also having combines roll up onto your farm and actually gather the maize, gather the wheat, et cetera, et cetera, and fly off into the night. Guys, why is this a massive problem? Well, I think it leads to instability in the agricultural sector. Absolutely. And we've seen already with issues such as farm murders, it's already actually quite a dangerous profession, but we've also seen that the age of our farmers is also declining. Mm -hmm. So... Well, it's increasing. Oh, sorry, that's mean the age. Yeah, yeah, farmers are getting older. Yeah, yeah. 62, I think. Exactly. So, and uh, I think this... The, you don't want to be alarmist, but I mean, Sorry. it is uh, something could uh, affect the food security of South Africa Absolutely. going forward. So this is something to be quite concerned about. And seeing well, that lump, you're right. Lump it then with the failure, for example, of the state to get agrarian um, uh, restitution right, to get a young generation of mostly black farmers who, mm. who want to farm, those who want to farm. 
to, for them to get the support to be able to start agribusinesses um, and learn from an aging farming community. We're not even getting that right. Oh, well, we saw now there was a recent incident with a man, I think his name is David Lakase, and he was given a farm in the 90s. He made a successful farm. He wants to buy it from the government. Huh? He had to take the government to court to allow him to buy that farm. So the government is actually not interested in land reform. Absolutely and we've had this not. conversation many times. We know the government has no real interest in building a property owning middle class in South Africa. And if they were interested in it, they'd be giving people title deeds and so on. Not that mm. title deeds are silver bullet, but they mm. definitely are. Uh, they're one of the solutions to these problems we have in this country. And and I think this form part forms <clears throat> part of the normalization of some really, really dangerous trends. Um, the, the fact that we have a property-related crime category, I mean, to me, it's, the, it's peak irony. Uh, this is the government that wants to commit the greatest property-related yes. crime. It should investigate itself, really. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, they'll probably put that down as one incident. Oh. But so it's, it's, it's a normalization <clears throat> of what is yours isn't actually yours. Yeah. Mm. Just another thing, guys, as we, we really look to wrap up, um, and just for the benefit of my listeners, um, other serious crimes decreased by 1.4%, except for commercial crimes. What I mean by these is all theft mentioned elsewhere in terms of the crime data went down by 0.7%. Commercial crime, this is fraud, scams, corruption, etc., went up by 14.4%. Now, this is the one I wanted to zoom in on. Because when you have essentially an ailing economy and one which is, has been on a downward trend for a long time, some people will turn to certain crimes which are essentially commercial in nature. And mm -hmm. when you see a near 15% spike mm -hmm. in these sort of crimes, it really tells you it's the economy stupid, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But we've seen uh, there's uh, lots of... Uh the malfeasance we're seeing in a lot of big companies. Apparently, uh, before, South African companies were generally seen as quite... Uh, mm, respectable. Yeah, respectable, yeah. Now, we've seen now, uh, I was reading an article, uh, somebody who works uh, in corporate South Africa was saying, it's kind of like the last days of Rome. A lot mm. of guys are just trying to get what they can before the final collapse comes, which is actually quite scary. But we've seen what's happened at a place like Steinhoff. There's been, I think, Tongat Ulitz has also had some right. questions around uh, how it's functioning. So, I mean... Specifically, it's accounting, it's books. Exactly. Mm. So there's some, I think these are all very serious uh, issues for South Africans. And if you're not worried, you should start worrying. And and it's, it's I mean, you're absolutely right. It's the economy stupid. Uh, where the moment it gets difficult um, to do a certain activity, that's the moment when people will resort absolutely. to things they morally wouldn't countenance. Mm. I, I think it's the same with, with stock theft. And, and, and here we have, I, I haven't unfortunately looked into the detail yeah. of the commercial crime, but I think things like tax evasion, yeah. um, that, that, that's typically something that, that a, a, a businessman will only turn to when he feels like the, 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 his ability to feed his um, or her ability to feed her family is in jeopardy. And that, that comes back to, and I'm not, talking it up. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that you can have circumstances where crimes are attractive or you can have circumstances where crimes are not attractive. Yeah. And we are very much a country in the first category. And I think if, well, sorry, just the tax evasion, yeah. I think if it is increasing, which is likely, uh, this all shows there's issues with legitim legitimacy of the state. Mm. So I mean, SARS's tax revenue intake is underperforming exactly. like crazy. And also they're bringing silly rules. They want to double tax uh, expats living overseas. Mm. So what all those people do? They'll formally emigrate and they'll financially emigrate and maybe even give, give up their South African citizenship in, in some cases. And cut a few corners on the way there. Exactly. And these are the kind of people we should actually... Uh, I saw in um, Portugal come up with a rule. If you're an expat and you move back to Portugal, 
you get 50% discount on your tax for five years or something. Mm. So that's kind of thing. We should be encouraging South Africans who are abroad, if n- maybe not to come back, but to you know just have positive view of the country and doing things like that is that's not that's not going to work. Fellas, I'm going to wrap us up. I'm going to wrap us up. Um, and um, as I do so, final comments um, to both of you chaps. The South African answer and answer this question is. And this can be a perception or also based on the numbers we've rattled out. Is the South African safer today than he was last year? I think you can answer that in one one word answer, and that's no. Um, I th- I think you can answer it in one word. I think you can answer it in a few other words as well. Mm. I think some South Africans are safer. You're spot on. And I think most South Africans are not. And that comes to who can afford to put up high walls, who can afford the security guards, who can afford to emigrate, for goodness sake. I mean, those are South Africans who are now in, in countries where they... Not safer than they would where they are. So, yes, some, some South Africans are safer, but it's the poor, it's the vulnerable, it's the people who the state must stand up for. Exactly who will ultimately bear the brunt of this cruelty. And, and you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll give it a chance, Morris, uh, because I, I actually tweeted this out yesterday, uh, today, um, you know, that it's it's ordinary folk like you and mm. me, the ordinary guy on the street who does the dying because of the high murder yeah. rate, who is hijacked, who is attacked and assaulted, who faces the rapists, who deal mm. with the property theft, etc. Who buries the their kids. Who buries exactly. the kids. Who has to console their daughter um, after something terrible happened to her. Hashtag dross rapist. Mm. Um, you know, but the politicians in this country, and really the political elite, I must say this, are safely ensconced behind a phalanx of, you know, uh, armed bodyguards. And of course, they have the perfect cop to political elite ratio. Mm. When you go to parliament, it's teeming with police officers, for example. They don't really understand that, oh, hang on, there actually is a problem out in the streets. Uh, Morris? I was gonna. It's always vulnerable people who actually the ones who rely on the state the most who suffer the most when That's the state right. starts failing. Mm. That's ex- and like you say, who are the people who suffer the brunt of crime? It's poorer people who, who can't afford to protect themselves with high walls or with security guards, as Herman says. So these are people who are actually the ones suffering the most under this government and this government's failures. And Morris, this brings me to therefore what we've been advocating for here at the IOR for a yeah. very long time, that we've got to begin to have communities, individuals and communities take charge of their own safety. Morris, yes. we launched a campaign. What is that campaign? So it's our community safety charter and we recommend uh, some ways to uh, change policing in South Africa. Firstly, we recommend increasing staff and resources for family violence, child protection, and sexual offences units, including expert prosecutors, improving the process of applying for and enforcing protection orders, because we heard that's the problem. A lot of women, they come and say, we've got a protection order against this guy, and she still gets ends up getting murdered or Absolute. attacked by a Good example is a couple of weeks, exactly. A couple of weeks ago, champion boxer in PE had a promising career ahead of her, shot three times in the face yes. by an ex-boyfriend who exactly. happens to be a cop. How's that for Exactly. Um, so that's what I can rely on. I mean, that's one thing when I was researching that report, there were so many incidents of where policemen or police women probably in some cases killed their partner with their service pistol. Absolutely. So, and, um, other, other points? 
ex- expediting the process of applying for and being granted uh, farm licenses, licenses, not licenses, licenses oh. for <laughs> self-defense. Depends on where you're from. Yeah, there comes my <laughs> East Rand accent, license, oh. and then uh, establishing an inquiry and public hearings into criminality within the police, which I think is important, what mm. we've spoken about, making all police and prosecu- prosecutorial appointments on merit alone, increasing the powers of community police forums, granting mm. communities the power to elect their station commanders, and employing private sector expertise in policing. Guys, this is a solid basket of proposals that we're making that essentially, as I said, places power back into the hands of the individuals and communities, Mm -hmm. the organized groupings and communities, and of course, the communities themselves. Morris, how do people actually, if they endorse these ideas, um, how do they sign up? How how do they empower the IRR to take this fight into the echelons of power? Well, what they can do is go to our website and they'll see uh, uh, Mm iwr.org.za. They'll see a campaign page there and they can go read our proposals and uh, give us uh, give their name if they like, uh, and then also if they are interested in our work, they can SMS their name to three two eight two three, and that'll be one way of getting involved and becoming part of the solution. And it's, uh, your name to three two eight two three, and each SMS costs you one rand. Absolutely, guys. Awesome, awesome conversation. I hope the listener and the viewer has been armed with the uh, knowledge as to what exactly transpired today, what the crime numbers said about the country you live in, the country you call home. And essentially, effectively, what you can do, the the basket of ideas that you can begin to push back with for us to address the rampant crime uh, situation in this country. Please support this campaign. This is a very important campaign that allows us to begin to address the bad ideas that are hampering our efforts to fight crime and, of course, um, put in place good ideas that can begin to empower you, the individual, you, the community, to fight back against crime. Um, Remember, you can find that information on the IRR website, irr.org.za, and look for the uh, Community Safety Charter tab on there and sign up as we'll take your, uh, your voice, if you will, into the echelons of power. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Liberty and Friends. Remember, if you want to get things right in this country, never trust a commie.